Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Brothers, sisters, siblings, welcome to Penn Sunday School. I'm Matt Donnelly, and we're broadcasting from Show Creator Studio South. Well, kind of. Actually, none of this takes place in Show Creator It's a bank show. Penn sat down with Julia Sweeney. You've already heard part one. This is Penn at a skeptics convention, talking with Julia, delivering the goods, the things we need, the podcast for our ear holes. Here he is, preaching the love, Penn Gillette. Hi, this is Penn Gillette, preaching love. This is the second half of me talking with Julia Sweeney at the Big Skeptics Convention in Las Vegas back a few weeks ago. A thousand, twelve hundred people in the audience, and I was yapping up a storm, and we thought we would uh, play that for you. This is the second half of it. Uh, me and Julia yapping up a storm. I sure hope you like it. So here, I'll take it away. Here's uh, Julia Sweeney and I, the second half of the interview. All right. Let's do this. Let's okay. go to your book, Random. Okay, okay so Penn has just written a book of fiction, and it's a kind of a mystery, and it's called Random. And I listened to about four hours of it now, and he reads it. Like, if you, I only was able to get it on Audible, but it's, you're really good reading it. You're, I mean, partly knowing you and your voice, but you're really good reading it. And the main character is this kid named Ingersoll, and he's in a desperate situation. It all takes place here in Vegas. But I really encourage you to either get the Audible, you know, the audio, or get the book. It's really good. Some of these people can read. I know. They don't, they don't need Audible. But it's real, like, and you, so tell us a little bit about your experience writing the book. You just went to New York and did an event in New York last night, yeah, right, for it? Yeah, a lot of um, things pimping the book, you know, going around. Do you think, you, okay, first, before you say, are you going to make it a series? With, do you think? Well, it was originally, uh, it was originally going to be a series. I want Ingersoll to be a series. <laughs> and uh, I, um. And Ingersoll, I, it's so perfect. Okay, go I ahead. I sold it, I sold it to Showtime, they bought it. Oh, they did, oh, but wow. Then, you know, show business, they, they didn't make it and then someone else bought it and didn't make it and then during the um uh lockdown uh, Ivanka Trump said people should you know write a book and learn a language so I did those because I do whatever she says um, but I got to uh I decided, what was the language by the way what's that what was the Spanish, language a little bit oh, okay poco. and um I uh I uh I sat down and, and finally wrote it after 30 years. So you'd written the screenplay first, and you'd sold I'd the screenplay. The screenplay. Okay. I had just uh, it was it was it was um up uh, the idea was sold to be, be a showrunner okay. on and then do it. But uh, the idea came to me came to me. No, it's not my idea. Um, the idea was told to me um, 30 years ago, and I'm going to change some of this story to to pr to protect the privacy. Um, also, make it a better story. Um, <laughs> we were. Um, Working on a TV show over in London, and um, a woman that was working with us in a rather high position um, uh, called me into her office one day. Uh, uh, I didn't know whether it was like, hey, now, or I was in trouble. I didn't know what right. it was. But um, it was neither. 
And she asked me if I'd read this book called The Dice Man. And I said, uh, no, I, I haven't read it. I haven't heard of it. And she said, well, why don't you read it? We had a couple days off, and she'd given me homework. So I went and got the book and read it, and I came back back to work. And a couple days after, she called me into the office again. And she said, what would you think of the book? And I said, well, you know, I, I don't like parody, and I don't like satire. I really don't like parody and satire, almost ever. And um, this book was a parody of Est, Warner Earhart, uh. and self-help in the 70s. And it was about this, um, this way of making your decisions based on dice. And I said, so I, I didn't really like the book, but the idea that making, that what you want to do the most always wins. The society of your mind um, votes and you decide what you want to do the most. But then there's like another bunch of things that are really part of you that you really wanted to right. do that just didn't win. And those parts are not expressed. I also like the part of making a decision instantly uh -huh. and making a decision, you know, whatever the decision is, just acting on it. And I said, that fascinated me, but I didn't like the book that much. Uh -huh. And she said, oh, let me tell you a story. And then it got dark. Um, she uh -huh. said she was very, um, very close to her brother. And several months before, she'd gone to her brother's apartment and she'd found that he had killed himself. He'd uh -huh. hanged himself. And uh, she... She did the minimum that you have to do when that happens to a loved one and then sat down on her couch and was unable to work or function or talk to friends. She became uh, to totally inactive uh -huh. for weeks and couldn't, couldn't get the gumption to, to go back to life. And she had read this silly book a little while right. beforehand and she said, so she just, she had dice at the house and... She decided to make a bell curve and make these four or five things that she was going to do. And one was like, call a friend. Right. And one was like, go to dinner. And one was like, clean the bedroom, you know, that kind of stuff. And she said she was going to roll the dice and whatever it said, she was going to act instantly. Uh -huh. And she did it and she did it and she went and she said, everything changed. And I said, well, how long did you do this for? And she opened her briefcase, this is back in the 90s. Uh, opened a briefcase, <laughs> and she had two ornate dice in there. Uh -huh. And she said, I I'm, I'm still doing it. And I said, oh, uh, you know, we wanted, the producers wanted you to work on this show with us, and they said that you, you wouldn't do a show. We weren't a big enough show for you to do. And then everybody's really surprised when you did that. And she said, yeah, I rolled an eight. Oh, wow. I said, so you, you're, you're, you're doing our show because of a roll of the dice. And she said, yes. And I said, and you're making a lot of artistic decisions on our show. Are you doing some of those with a roll of the dice? And she said, only when I'm not sure. Oh, wow. I said, so, so part of our show is random. And she said, yeah. And So wait, so she comes up with, say, like on dice, I guess tw she has 12 options of things that well, could no, happen. You can have any, any number of options you want. There's 11 Right. Rolls of the dice, but you um, you can have three or four and just assign, you know. Okay, but you numbers. do have to assemble the list because it seems like take the time to come up with your list of 10 things you might do. Yeah, you have to go That's your list. investment of time. It's an investment of time, but you can do it really quickly. You learn very quickly, of course. I mean, you know already that, you know, two and 12 are the least 
uh, likely, like 2.65. I don't Whatever know any of this. The exact number, shut up. But it's like around 2.65. <laughs> I don't know any of this. Um, but I believe uh, you. You also know seven <laughs> is most likely. Oh. So you, um, it's actually a really interesting exercise to decide <laughs> what things you're trying to decide to assign a value to them. Right. And you know... Business people will tell you that making a decision is often more important than what decision you make. Yeah, I think that's and true. And acting on a decision is always more important right. than the decision. And so I, I, I was talking about this, like I said, for 30 years with all my friends. And two friends of mine actually ended up um, living dice life for a while. Dice life. Which really freaked me out. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, they, were, they were both women. It was, it was a couple years apart. They were both going through very traumatic times. One was a divorce, one was a thing with their child. And they called me up and said, you know, you were talking about that over dinner, the, the dice thing, I'm going to do it. And I said, I think it's really dangerous. And I think it's really irresponsible. And I don't think you should do it. But if you do tell me everything. <laughs> so I, they called me every day while they were doing it. And, uh, it was really interesting. They ended up expressing parts of their personality they might not have ever gotten to. Right. And they found it a really powerful and good experience. The, both of them, and this, this surprised me, but maybe it was the second one because I told her about the first one, but both of them said they ended up having sex with strangers at Starbucks. <laughs> and they said what they would do is they'd go in in the morning and they would say, <laughs> six, seven, or eight, I'm going to get a latte. You know, five, I'm going to try one of those weird fruity tea drinks. You know, nine, I'm going to get a pastry. And two, there's a really cute guy in line behind me. I'll ask who wants to sneak into the bathroom. <laughs> and they said, it's something I've always wanted to do, but it was never my first choice. But it'll be my first choice of the future. Wow. They liked it. That's hilarious. So oh my gosh. These, I did a Q&A in New York City uh, last night, and uh, I asked, you know, uh, any questions from the audience, and I told this story, and, you know, people raised their hand going, what Starbucks do your friends go to? <laughs> But so I, uh, I, I've been banging this around in yeah. my head forever. I would not do it. I it's a not. really great idea. I mean, the whole concept of it is fantastic. Yeah, I would not live dice life because I don't believe in moderation and because I have a family and a job. And, and you already express all the aspects of your personality. Yeah, exactly, all of them. <laughs> and uh, I have one more I'd like to express right now. <laughs> and uh, uh, I just, I was just fascinated by by being given that superpower. And one of the things I wanted to do, and I had, to, I had to go through great contortions, you may have noticed this in the book, but I wanted to make, you know, the characters you said, Ingersoll, Bobby Ingersoll, named after Robert Ingersoll. Yes. Um, I wanted to make him a good guy. I wanted him to be uh, sexually very, very far in the fringe. I wanted to be very eccentric socially. I wanted to be sometimes not likable, but I wanted everything he did to fit within my morality because so many of the things that I love, uh, I mean, um, uh, uh, one of the best shows on TV, Perpetual Grace Limited, Patriot, and um, also even um, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, wonderful, wonderful shows. I end up doing all this resolution resolution of cognitive dissonance in that I'm rooting for someone who is outside my morality. 
Uh-huh. And that really bugs me. And I know it's good writing for your hero to have flaws. I know. And I know you're supposed yeah. to identify with that. But I was really, um, I wanted to have a, a protagonist in a book that was exciting and sexy and all of those things, but still always within my morality. So I went to a great deal of trouble to make sure it was like that in the book. I think maybe that that's a time that's passed because it seems like the only shows that are on TV, you, you get really used to rooting for bad people. But I don't ever feel good about it. I don't either. I felt this, I mean, I love Breaking Bad. I understand the artistry of it. I understand the skill of it. I was totally sucked into it. But I agree. I, I feel like it became this kind of quote-unquote sophisticated trope that you take an unlikable character and make them the main... And yeah, I get that. And they're interesting, they're fun, they can have all these flaws. But in the end, it in itself becomes lazy. Like, make somebody you genuinely want to root for. Like, that you like as a person. Yeah, I, I, I think that... Well, that's what I wanted. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, so you write, so you wrote the book during the pandemic. Yeah. And now it's just come out, just this month. Yeah, it just came out, and uh, I guess it's doing. Uh, well, the Audible book is in some subcategory, like the <laughs> the coldest day, dice know, life category, you know, dice life category, yeah. <laughs> weather records. You know, coldest day in Tulsa in November. Um, but it's uh, I think in like uh, dark crime something. It's the audio. The audible book is number one or something. So that feels it's, that must feel doing, great. Because my novels. Oh, thank you. Um, I've written one other novel, and my uh, my fiction does not do well. My essays have right. you know, done bestseller stuff, but when I write stuff that's just in my head, people as a rule say we we don't care, Ben. Well, I think this is going to change that well, maybe, maybe. because it's really compelling. It's an incredibly great, like it's a great concept and a great character. That doesn't happen all the time. Oh, thank you. It, I'm very excited about it. I bet it gets made now into something. Yeah, well, we're talking now. Someone's talking about optioning it again, but you know show business very well. You know that yes. things don't happen. You, you well, you know, for me, everything's happened that I've ever wanted. <laughs> it's so weird. Just think I want to be this and it happens. No. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, well, I hope it does. It's really, to me, just hearing it, it just seemed like I could see it. I mean, in a way, maybe you can tell that it was a screenplay first. You could see it. Maybe because of being in Vegas, you could see. It's just, I don't anyway, know. It's fantastic. I recommend it all to you, all of you. Thanks. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you is, so how, I mean, pe- people know about your libertarianism and, of course, that you've, you know, you are not an anti-vaxxer or an anti-masker. I am not that. Um, so um, my question is, what, um, what are other things that 
changed you from the pandemic? Were you, did you feel that you were, not your essential nature, obviously, but things that you would say are different because of just experiencing the lockdown or experiencing being at home more or something like that? Well, I, uh, I realized that wanting to spend a lot more time with my family is not a reasonable goal that I really desire. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think spending, I was spending a fine amount of time with my family before the pandemic. <laughs> okay. I didn't think we had to right. that up at all. Um, but we did. Um, and your kids uh, were home from school, were they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so everyone was home. I, 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 well, maybe, I, I, I guess everybody would, would have a, a different argument on this, but I think being 15 and 16 and locked in, locked in the house with your parents is yeah. probably, uh, probably the worst. I mean, it was, it, it was terrible for my children. I, I, uh, I just said, you know, uh, you don't want to talk to me. You know what I mean? You want to, you want to, you want to have, be with your peers and so on. But the real thing that changed is I don't really uh, any longer identify as libertarian. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's for me. And, that's good news because and I'm. The, and the reason is, um, <laughs> uh, it's a cliche of political belief to say that um, you know I didn't leave the movement; the movement left me. But it was during lockdown. It was before. It was before the vaccine, and um, I got an email that said that there was an anti-mask rally in Vegas, and they would just assume that I would be leading it. Oh, wow. And when I read that email, um, everything changed. Um, because, uh, I mean, I think it was Steve Allen that said, my, my right to swing my arm stops at your face. Um, and the fact that people had always said libertarians were, um, you know, selfish rich white guys who didn't give a fuck about anybody else. And that didn't seem true. And it, with that email, it did. And um, uh, I, I can make the argument. I don't think I'm, I will, but I believe I could make it that maybe the government shouldn't use violence to enforce masks. Maybe there's other ways to do that. Mm-hmm. I could make that argument. I don't think I would. But you cannot make the argument that people shouldn't wear masks. You can make the argument, I believe I can, that it may be your right to not wear seatbelts, but I can't make the argument that it's your right to drive drunk. And the fact that many people who were calling themselves libertarians were not differentiating between actions that were your freedom and actions that would hurt other people. Right. Uh, I I always believed. Yeah. <laughs> I always believed, and I argued for for hours with Lawrence O'Donnell, who's one of my best friends from MSNBC, and Al Franken, who's a friend. I argued with them for hours that um, libertarianism was responsibility. It was more responsibility than the other political thing, because you had to think about every decision. What would this do for other people? as opposed to having the government decide you had to make this decision. And when um, it turned out that the pandemic happened and virtually everybody publicly who was speaking about libertarianism was leaving out the responsibility part. Right. Which it's, it, that's leaving out the most important part. There's nothing but responsibility in my view of libertarianism. But the question that was always important to me as, as a libertarian or as a as a citizen, was with any problem that we get, 
is there a way we can solve this problem with more freedom instead of less? And sometimes the answer is going to be no. To that. Yeah. But I think the question should be asked. It shouldn't automatically be, should we go to force? And my, I came to libertarianism from being a peacenik. Um, I, I have, I, I don't, I think force, there are very few cases where I think force is justified. I mean, mm -hmm. if someone is hitting me, I don't think force is justified for me to hit them back. I'm that far. Wow. So with libertarianism, the idea of someone in my name right. using force uh, of the police to something, but if it's protecting someone else, you've got to always weigh that. Another thing that happened to me... Um, but wait, I just want to get clear. So the the you came from it at a peacenik thing, so you felt like you didn't feel like you could be wanted to be, say, drafted or forced into a war or forced us into oh, no, violence. No, no. I, was, I was saying even more. I like even just in a personal way, too. I didn't yeah. think that people should be forced by the government to um, say the Pledge of Allegiance or to right. go to school or to, you know, that using force, using a gun in order to I accomplish see. stuff. But now uh, in, in society, I mean, after, after January 6th, we we saw right. that the that the that the government, in order to maintain any sort of um, semblance of uh, of freedom, uh, needs to use more force than I previously thought was necessary. But um, uh, the other thing I want to say, uh, and I think maybe if you don't understand this or I don't say it well, uh, I'll just be seen as the sickest fuck in the world. But <laughs> the fact that the virus spread around the world to everybody instantly uh, gave me, and I always had the feeling that we were connected, uh -huh. everybody. But it, you know, uh, I don't think it was Al Gore that originally said it, but uh, might have been Hubble that originally said it. That, but somebody said that as soon as there was a picture of all of Earth, oh, right. that yeah. we could see it from out there, that there would be a change in, in everybody. And yeah, that did it, but somehow the virus going all around the world that quickly right. gave me a feeling, I, I know this sounds sick and terrible, but it gave me a feeling of connectiveness and that we're all in this together. And I've always said to my children that uh, I'm very against uh, tribalism. It always makes me uncomfortable. Even s sporting events, even skeptics groups at some level it's a little bit creepy to me. I always tell my children, you know, you have two choices. You're one of one or you're one of 7.8 billion. And there's no tribes under that. I mean, I'm not comfortable identifying as a man. I'm not comfortable identifying as American. I'm not comfortable. I think it should be the whole world. And I felt that for many, many years. But during the virus, as I, you know, had, had friends of mine dying mm -hmm. and friends suffering mm -hmm. and me suffering, you know, um, and Teller suffering. Um, and being able to picture that happening all over the world right. uh, uh, gave me a feeling of, of um, universal community 
Uh, I know it's coming from a negative place, but the feeling in my heart was positive. Do I sound like a monster? Does anybody understand? <laughs> no, you I'm don't. Not, I'm not no, that's saying good. there was anything good about the virus. <laughs> no, I understand. But I do see, as I get older, I understand how the tribes that people associate themselves with and all the different sports fans, religions, whatever, um, really are seeking a kind of safety. I mean, like, like I really get it now when people, like if you moved to a town and you were a single mom and you would go join a church, like you would, like I get that would make your life better. You would know more people that you could help and be helped by. I said absolutely contradictory things. I realized that. I said that the community of the church was very, very important. Then I said I'm very much against tribes. I think I have this um, unrealistic ideal of the feeling of community that I got when I was going to my church and I was when right. I was a child uh, could be for everybody always um, but you know uh, maybe that's just something we um, uh, we hope for it's, it's it's wonderful to to feel part of a group I just want those groups to be bigger and bigger and bigger and more inclusive. right and also just not with the mythology as truth I mean yeah. To me, that's the part that's the most but upsetting. I, I, really, I, really think, uh, I really think that so many of our political problems now are, are, are simply loneliness. Uh, the, the loneliness seems to be crushing. And also just seeming to want to identify with the tribe, even if it's just Republican or, you know, like people want to be, like people keep talking about the religiosity going down so dramatically like in the U.S., like all the numbers show yeah. that like a huge percent, like just in the last 10 years, like 20% less. But actually that frightens me because now I feel like there's free agents out there to sign up for something else that can take up all of their thinking. That's frightening. I mean, I hear what you're saying. I believe that in a positive way, but it also scares me. I also think that oh, we, we won't know this for years and years, but uh, the fact that there are... Uh, that we found a way to to monetize outrage and hate, right. I think is a uh, might be even more important uh, than it seems. I mean, it used to be if if you started talking racism in your town, your friends, people you met at restaurants and stuff would say, "What the fuck is wrong with right. you?" You know, they slap you around a little bit. And um, now, if a guy gets crazy ideas in his head, like Travis Bickle and Taxi Driver, he, he can have an email from the Grand Wizard of the KKK within 48 hours. Right. And um, so... It's like, do we want everyone to have so much access and information? Well, I thought it was good. Maybe not. I thought it was good. You know, in the, in the 90s, um, I mean, uh, Chip Denman's here somewhere. I, I remember Chip and I talking, all of us talking, with Rob Pike and Ron Gomez and all these guys, we all talked all the time about how as they got more communication and everybody had a voice, that it was going to be oh, I know. lead to peace. And have, I, I've been more wrong than that, but have you been more wrong than that? You <laughs> just could not have been more wrong. That could, and, and there's this great book, and I, I recommend it all the time, uh, Jonathan Rausch, uh, wrote a book. He's a fabulous writer. Right. He wrote a book called The um, Constitution of Knowledge that is the smartest book about this that, that I've seen. And um, he talks about how, how come Wikipedia got it right? Wikipedia, with a bunch of rules 
found a way to make it so there's one Obama page that everyone has to agree on those facts. Yeah. And I know we all have Wikipedia horror stories of things that were horribly No, wrong. but mostly it's fantastic. It's a, it's a miracle, Wikipedia. But if, if Twitter and Facebook and, and, and TikTok, for the love of Christ, could be, could be more... Uh, more in the mold of Wikipedia, that was the utopia I was picturing. Wikipedia is what I wanted for the future, and what I ended up getting was a fucking guy with hair that looked like cotton candy made of piss spewing (laughs) hate and changing and destroying my whole country. Yeah, That's what I got. What I wanted was Wikipedia. (laughs) I know, exactly. No, it's true. (laughs) I mean, it's too bad there isn't some kind of government regulation that could encourage that. But I was there too, like going to TED conferences and Facebook was new. And I was like, this is the dawn of a new age. We're going to all find each other. We're going to all love each other. And I was, couldn't have been more wrong. And it's really, it's hard not to become jaded, especially I'm a certain age now. It's hard. I have to fight not becoming jaded by it. Like you, you giving get, up. Like, there's okay. A, there's a very small step from uh, this is going wrong to get off my lawn. and uh i worry about that a lot you know i i i know i'm 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 67 years old and i know that um we know we know from books and studies and everything else that um my fear and my worry about the world changing is a big part my age but i do think there are some uh, objective things that are happening in terms of the electoral college and in terms of um, secretaries of state and voting right. that, that I think, I, I think may be um, bad even if you're 30. Yeah, I think so too. I guess for me, I'm always fighting this feeling that the tide of history and forces that are so beyond me and really all of us are so big that there's really not that much you can do to have any effect on it. But... There's one group that's working very, very hard to change the world for the better, and that is McDonald's. Because they keep <laughs> delivering Big Macs to that fuck, and eventually he's going to die, right? Oh, my God. So Can go I, McDonald's. Okay, but wait. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. You can't say anything about The Apprentice. Did you have to sign an NDA or anything like that after being on The Apprentice? Like, you, can you say anything about Trump? Congress or? shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion to prove me the pre-exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or the press or writing people to freely assemble to address the government for the redress of their grievances. I can say anything you want about <laughs> Celebrity Apprentice. I did two tours of duty. 
So I, I know Celebrity Apprentice, and I knew Trump before that. We watched yeah. him take Atlantic City into the toilet. Yeah, I, he was on. He hosted a Mother's Day special on SNL. But <laughs> oh my God, when I look back, I wouldn't even take the elevator down to watch him do anything with my own mother. I was so I was angry they even had him on SNL because yeah. I felt like they were just promoting this idiot, and you know well, that you know, was part I, of what happened. He, what I had. Uh, uh, Donald Trump Jr. said to me uh, that he, I was the only person he ever met who seemed to like his father. What? Really? And um, uh, he said, why is that? How come you're not scared and you get along with them? And so he equates fun? liking somebody of not being scared of them. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, that's interesting. Uh, but he, uh, but it, it was other <laughs> stuff too. And I, he asked me to explain it. And I have... Um, uh, you know, the long-suffering Glenn will say it's, it's it's one of the problems in his life. I have incredible tolerance for eccentricity. Um, I love it. I love people that are way, way off the bell curve. I think. We yeah, learn, I do too. I think we, you can't be in show business without liking that. Yeah, I we, mean, lear, yeah. we learn a lot about, I mean, whether it's epileptics with split brain or whether it's <laughs> Tiny Tim, you know, one of my one of my heroes in show business, who uh, I think was probably on the spectrum. Um, and whether you have people that do it with drugs, I think Hendrix uh, invented a lot of stuff because of drugs taking right? the filter I think away. So too. Or whether you do it with absolute pure raw genius and willpower, right. like the Bard from Minnesota, Bob Dylan. Um, but even people who are not heroic, uh, I find it really interesting. So I like the fact that Donald Trump had no filters at all. And I liked the fact in that box of show business that he was really interesting. Right. Yeah, that's true. You, yes, that's undeniable. And um, so I, I was cordial. I mean, what, what, what Celebrity Apprentice is, is it is a partially improvised soap opera. You right. Know, that's essentially what it is. And... Uh, other people took it very seriously. You know, they talked about getting fired. And I said, by the way, he can't fire you. He's right. not your boss. Right. He does not have a job to offer you. Right. You're on a television show. <laughs> but other people had real trouble. And they would yeah. say, we're going into the boardroom. And I'd say, we're not going into a boardroom. We're going to the boardroom set. Yeah. It's a different thing. And, you know, he would talk about, you know, me doing these jobs for him. And I would say, I I'm on a TV show. Like you, um, but um, I, I I suspect that didn't help you move forward on The Apprentice. I I, I did very well on okay. Celebrity Apprentice. Um, I'm very proud to say. Okay, well, um, actually, um, it was down of the um, the final one was down to Trace Adkins, you know, country guy, and me were down to the final two, and we had some bullshit thing like selling ice cream, <laughs> and my ice cream uh, outsold Trace like four to one or something i'd done all the tasks pretty well they came in i mean what i don't know what year this was i guess like eight eight nine years ago i guess glenn will know and he'll yell it out if i'm too wrong <laughs> uh but um uh they came into my dressing room this is the final show that's going to be live came into my dressing room they said um uh if donald trump runs for president would you support him and I went, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> right? Oh, my God. No, absolutely not. And they said, well, we've been told to report back to Donald Trump, and you might want to say yes, because that is going to affect who wins. <gasps> and I said, what? <laughs> no. 
You're kidding. I won't support him. No, no way. And Joan Rivers said, um, she was backstage with him. Uh-huh. And Joan was a friend of mine. And um, Joan said, you know, he's, he's, he's going crazy because you've won all the tasks and he really doesn't want to have you win, you know? Oh. And so uh, it was this real heavy thing coming down. And then Trace won. And then the, uh, the ice cream company was so angry, they came to me and gave me double the money for my charity. And NBC <laughs> apologized to me. But um, Wow. I, will t- I don't know if I should tell this story. Yes. Although we are over a little bit. Is that okay? Okay, we can go for it. Okay. Tell it. I think this story, uh, I, hope, I hope you take it in the spirit <laughs> I mean it, because it's a, it's a repulsive story. Can't Don- wait. Donald Trump said to me on camera more than once, more than twice, about three times. He said to me, you know, Penn, you're one of the three people I've met who is smarter than me. And they said, how does that make you feel? And I said, it makes me feel like he hasn't met many people. Um, I know... And they interviewed me a lot about this. You know, they put you in these little rooms and they say, he actually said this to you, that you're one of the three smartest people. What do you think about that? And I said, um, uh, I knew Richard Feynman. I mean, I knew <laughs> Richard Feynman. I, I met Marie Gilman. You know, uh, I met Bob Dylan. I mean, I know Nobel Prize winners. I have met... Uh, Let's take Richard Feynman for an example. If you asked Richard Feynman how many people are smarter than you, Richard Feynman would not be able to parse the question. The fact that you can ask that question shows that you have no understanding of intelligence whatsoever. Exactly. Because the question, and I don't don't tell this story. I mean, um, my friend Lawrence Krauss asked if he could tell this story in in an editorial he was writing in the New York Times. And I said, no, because someone's going to say, you know, Penn's bragging that Donald Trump thinks he's smarter than him. And that's not the point of the story. Right. The point of the story is you've got a person who is so deeply deluded and mentally ill. Yeah, mentally that ill. He thinks he can, <laughs> he has three people. The number is I hysterical. know the number is hysterical. Oh, and I know one of the other ones is Carrot Top and <laughs> Polly Shore. Pendulette, Polly Shore, Carrot Top. It's easy who those three are. But um uh, by the way, I never found out the other two. But if you asked Richard Feynman, he would have said, well, what do you mean? At, at, right. at, at knowing how an internal combustion engine works? Because yeah. I know there's a lot of people smarter than me on that. Do you mean DNA? Well, there's thousands smarter than me on that. Do you mean, um, do you mean um, particle physics? Well, there's a lot smarter than me on that. I mean, there's no, there's no way you can put a number to that. Right. You know, no matter how smart you are, no matter who you are in what field, you can't put a number to that. And when he said that to me, everybody thought it was about me. <laughs> and I thought it was about the depth of his mental illness. Yeah. Um, the other two things I want to say about him that I think are so, so creepy and that <laughs> haven't been talked about. I love where this is going. That haven't been talked about was I've been around Donald Trump 
with a, with a band playing on stage and me standing next to him, okay? Uh-huh. A band playing on stage, right. me standing next to him, playing rock and roll. And I've looked down at his foot and it's not moving. And uh-huh. I watched him, because I noticed this early on, I watched him whenever music was playing and I never saw a physical reaction to the music. Now, I know he does that grotesque. Yeah, he does do dance. We've seen him dance. To YMCA. I don't know what's about queers. <laughs> YMCA. <laughs> and, you know, Fortunate Son, which if I had to pick one song in popular music that Donald Trump should not play about himself, right. it's Fortunate Son. Right. And when the band played Hail to the Chief, they point the cannon at you, y'all. Yes, John Fogarty. Uh, anyway. Uh, didn't tap his foot, no appreciation for music yeah. that I could see at all. He does that weird thing like he's moving like he saw other humans do it, yeah. but it's not in time. Right. And I will bet you dollars to donuts he can't find two and four. Right. Um, but um, the other thing that bothered me even more is I never heard him make a joke yeah. or laugh at a joke. Yeah. And I'm defining joke differently than Donald Trump would. A joke is not, she's fat. Right. Not a joke. But he would laugh at that right. a lot. Uh, a joke at someone's expense, uh, uh, an insult, he'll laugh at. But I never saw him laugh or enjoy a joke. Now, I lived for two years on the streets. I hitchhiked. I hopped trains. I stayed. I, I was in jail overnight. I stayed in in in. in biker clubhouses, never, ever saw anybody, no reaction to music, never laughed at a joke, and uh, no shame about anything ever. Yeah. And it turns out that no shame is sadly a superpower. Because if I told you right now, you can have everything you want in the world, including world peace but you have to promise me that you will never apologize or admit you were wrong for the rest of your life, I contend you could not do it. And I contend very few people could do it. I contend that Trump has done it. Yeah. And that is so far off the bell curve that he may have taken a bunch of us uh, into, a, into a world of hurt. It must be so wild to have had such intimate experience with him, like being around him so much. We and only then had having... sex once. <laughs> Was it consensual, though? Uh, one of us. <laughs> okay, my last thing, and then we got to get out of here. Um, so here we are. We're getting older. Do you ever think about slowing down at all? I mean, you're doing so many things. It's amazing. I just imagine you continuing on. But do you ever even think that uh, you want to slow down? Uh, no. Uh, I, I mean, when I was um, when I was. 15 or 16 years old, it's, it seemed to me impossible that I could ever even one day work in show business. My dream would have been, which was impossible, I would have thought there was no chance, would be to think of ideas and do them and have people enjoy them and react to them. I uh, lucked out with the, um, with I believe the best partner anyone could ever have. Teller is the, um, the best magic mind alive today. Uh, Teller is uh, never late. He does not make mistakes. He is 100% reliable. Um, He is kind. And he is um, learned and erudite. And um, because 
of Teller, uh, I've gotten uh, everything I ever wanted. And uh, I don't know why I can't understand golf. <laughs> Pe- people work so hard in show business to get to be able to do what they want. And then they choose to do something else during the day. I mean, <laughs> all I ever wanted was to do shows. And, you know, you know like there's Sinatra who did not quit at the peak. He kept yeah. singing until he wasn't good. And Johnny Carson went out at the absolute peak. Yeah. He was great when he went out. I'm just telling you right now, I'm Sinatra. <laughs> I am going okay, to be on stage <laughs> when I suck, suck, suck. You're going to be able to say, why is he still on stage? He can't do fucking anything. And you're going to say, he told us, Julia Sweeney. I mean, when you see that I'm appearing somewhere in 20 years, don't go to the show. I'm going to suck, but I'm going to be there, goddammit. Oh, well, thank you, Penn, honey. That was so great. We're so lucky to have him as part of our community. Penn Gillette. me talking to Julia Sweeney at the uh, Skeptics convention back a few weeks ago at the Flamingo for about 1,200 people, maybe a 1,000, I don't know, in a, uh, in a live audience. And I had a blast doing it, even though I was uh, half asleep. And um, yeah, what else do you need to know? Um, 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 what I gotta, oh yeah, that was Penn Sunday School. That was Penn Sunday School. Cha-cha-cha. You become naked. You know we love you. Hey, Matt Donnelly, got anybody to thank? Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you enjoyed Penn's time with Julia as much as I did. But it's now time to thank the people that keep the podcast a chug, chug, chugging along. Choo-choo to Broken Hastings, Placida Scott, Dante Peace, Damian Martin, Adam Luce hopes Teller has a speedy recovery. All, all signs point to yes, Adam. And make sure you follow Teller on Twitter, where he seems to give plenty of updates. Timo Tihoff, Mark Pickenheim, Scott Kelly, Kelly M., Adam Burzens, Matthew Applehands, Fractured Adventures, Carlos Alvarez, Nicholas Emerson, Michael Cornwall, Ross Divero, Rue Dudley, Ryan Matthews, Jeff Bacher, Eric Dobell, Michael Torbay, Ilan Lee. Also check out You Lying Sack or whatever. I think it's called You Lying Sack is the, the, the new... Game from Penn and, and Elan. Jacob McCulley, Nicole Martin, Crazy Cat Lady Scoop, Nick Hemsing, Music Man, Jamie Thrasher, Rachel Hawkins. I bet a lot of people think Music Man Jamie Thrasher is one name, but they just always go next to each other in the thank yous. So Music Man is one person. Jamie Thrasher is another. Rachel Hawkins is obviously another. So is Jake Schneider, Pete Hoke, Kelly McCauley, Jeremy Davidson, Robin Garnett. 
Tom and Julie Lin. Penn married us eight years ago, but we're not stalking him. As far as I know, Penn doesn't even mind stalking. So thank you, Tom and Julie. And congratulations on your eighth anniversary. Ovi Dimitrian Jr., Jeremy R. 22, Winter Weirkowski, Kristen Kledick, Michael Cohen, Dr. Scoop Little, Joe Mastrangelo, Jeremiah Jenkins, Matt the Mindler, upcoming shows, mindler.com. That's true, actually. I just updated my calendar page. Make sure you check it out. Jesse Miller, Alexander Hoffman, who changed their name to my plug? That's so nice of you, whoever you are. Danny Olwine, I believe, Sean Magruder, Stephen Volcano, Jim, the now 24 yearly performances as Naked Magician. So it's 24 shows a year? Is that what's, is it one show a year for 24 years? Scooped Mids, and of course, our good pal, Paul McBride. Thank you all so much. I hope you guys have a great week. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.